Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to episode four of the world's first Paul Weller fan podcast. I'm Dan Jennings and 10 years ago I gave up my life's dream and career as a radio presenter with one big regret. Never getting to interview my hero, the legendary British musician Paul Weller. This podcast exists purely to solve that issue. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Paul. We'll be talking to the followers, the friends, the people who have written about him, created with him, been influenced by him, idolised him and so much more. And I have to say, thank you for listening. Thanks for your feedback, your comments, your love of the podcast so far. It's been an absolute joy to see it all coming through on Twitter. So please do download, subscribe, leave a review and spread the word. It all helps. This week, we head back to the 90s, to the height of Britpop and the man who was in control of Paul Weller's return to live performance on primetime TV. Rick Blacksell joins us, the former exec producer on Top of the Pops and a massive, massive Weller fan as well. Now, Rick is a former BBC Radio 1 producer, was once head of programmes at BBC Radio 6 Music and group creative director at Capital Radio. For the past 13 years, Rick has been at Bauer Media, where he is music and content director for the amazing hugely popular multi-award winning radio stations Planet Rock, Kerrang, Heat and newbie Scala Radio. We had a great chat in this episode which also includes the story of my very first meeting with Mr Weller so listen out for that as well. Right let's get into it. Hi Rick good to see you. It's a pleasure Dan and good to see you as well. This year it's been pretty bonkers right and in the world of radio your industry is booming right now. Yeah it is and it goes back to those real basic qualities that sometimes get overlooked about radio and it's just about the companionship that it brings and I think you know people uh, are going through you know some pretty unsettling times but you can turn the radio on and there's a familiar voice and there's some music you like and you can engage with it and it's just a valuable friend and I think um, you know it's got that curation and that companionship that maybe some streaming services don't offer and obviously radio and streaming are quite complementary but in in this particular time we're in now radio's strengths have really shone through. Now you talked about music there and the kind of power of music you're you're a guy who clearly is passionate about music having spent um, X amounts of years in the industry clearly this is something that still excites you. Yeah it is and um, you know and it's it's through 
it's a work and it's it's hobby. I'm very lucky to have worked across a lot of different brands and a lot of different stations, a lot of different formats. But my appetite for music of all genres is huge. And and um, I'm even still in a punk band that I've been in for years. So gutted that we can't do any gigs at the moment. Um, but and that's the other thing, just missing live music. Um, yeah. You just see, man, you used to see so many gigs every week, uh, and now it's just kind of dried up. So. Um, understandably, but uh, I can't wait for for live music, you know, to to, to return. But there's still so much great music out there. Uh, and new stuff being signed. Rock is in a really powerful position. Lots of great stuff coming through from a rock perspective. And um, I'm also working across uh, Scala Radio, which is a classical station we set up about 18 months ago. And the releases that are coming through from the classical world are incredible. So many new young artists being signed. That whole scene is very much alive. And I think some people would think classical music is a bit of a museum piece, but it's not. You know, it's connecting on a new level with with a younger audience. And, um, you know, very proud that Scala's part of that yeah now you mentioned live music um which is something i hadn't really thought about actually but that kind of gigging thing who'd have thought we'd miss being crushed in the front row of a mosh pit oh man i know <laughs> and um I mean, like a couple of weekends ago, we were due to go to, with some mates, we'd just go to the uh, punk weekender up at Butlins at Skegness. You know, we'd go for years and everyone was so gutted, you know, that like, we weren't going to be there. <laughs> All these ageing punks popping <laughs> 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 away to Sam 69. What are you doing in this punk band? I didn't know this about you. What's, what, what role do you play? Are you front man? Well, yeah, I am. I, I was going to say I sing, but I bark more than I sing. <laughs> but I guess that's the spirit of it, isn't it? Now, this podcast is as much about music as it is about the legend that is Paul Weller and, and my yeah. kind of search to kind of be able to interview the great man. Um, I guess punk is a good place to start in terms of kind of Weller and the jam arriving in that kind of that kind of early days of punk and maybe not seeing themselves in that kind of whole punk world, but certainly at the same kind of time as the Pistols and the Clash and stuff. Oh, jeez, man. I mean, right from the very start, I was in punk bands at school and we were playing in the city, their version of Midnight Hour. When you saw them, that energy... I mean, I think that's what probably linked them into punk. You know, the energy on stage was incredible. And they were a young band and they looked the part. And um, the songs were short and they were really highly powered. Paul Weller, just the most amazing frontman, a real relatable character. As as the band, the jam progressed, so did our set list into like Avon, Wardour Street, down in the tube station at midnight. You know, we kept covering jam songs. <laughs> we just like obsessed. And the, I think the thing is with Paul, and you you very rarely see this, but when you he loves his guitar, when you see him play, there's a look in his eye, and he loves his guitar. Some people play a guitar, but he loves his guitar. Yeah, yeah. And it's just an incredible thing to see. Yeah, it's kind of mesmer. I mean, my missus will kind of take the mickey out of this of kind of like the only person that I would leave her for would be Paul Weller. Because I think there's that thing when you're kind of front row looking at somebody who's, who's that into playing and, and the yeah. guitar stuff, I don't think necessarily is kind of recognised as much for the guitar work as, as for the songs and the writing and stuff. But he's an incredible guitarist, right? Yeah, amazing guitarist. And, and um, you know, the master of just the riff, the lick, you know, and the right duration. And we saw that during, during you know, his time with the jam. But then as an artist, as he developed, you know, through Style Council, his solo material, you know, you got to, you know, the melody of the lyrics he creates. I mean, stuff like Shifting Sands, Wildwood, you know, just really lyrics that, that connect and very emotional, you know, as a songwriter as well. I think that energy and all that excitement around the jam was really powerful. And then as he's just progressed through his career, you know, the strength of his songwriting, the, the quality of his lyrics 
which is like something else. I mean, he is an he's a total jewel in the crown of you know British songwriting, without a doubt. Now you were there at the at top of the pops of what's now called the Rick Blacksell era. I don't know if you know this. Um, is it? So, yeah, yeah. Genuinely, this is what they, people call it in <laughs> forums online. Obviously, a really key time from kind of like the nineties Britpop, that kind of um, Cool Britannia kind of period. Yeah. What are your memories of that time? Because that must, I mean, career-wise, that must have been like you know such an exciting time for British music. Right then was kind of like just off the scale. Yeah, it, it was, and I think you know I was kind of lucky, really, in terms of the time that I, I did the show. I, I was given. Uh, a bit more freedom than perhaps the show had been given in terms of how to program it. So it was always programmed around whatever the top 10 entries were in the chart. I just felt that was too restrictive and you could have great songs charting at the lower end of the chart that would sell lots of albums that was perhaps more reflective. So I kind of played around with the format a little bit, but that coincided with brilliant pop music coming through, you know, and it could be Take That and East 17s, Spice Girls, you know, all of that stuff was happening, which was quality British pop. And then you had Brit pop as well with, you know, what was going on with Oasis and Blur and uh, all those other bands around that, like Sleeper and then um, and Elastica. And then, and then on top of that, you, you know, you had more established artists coming back onto the show because they felt it was better. People like Bowie, Kate Bush, and people coming back that said they'd never do it before. Madonna. It was just, it was, it was an amazing time. But I think I was lucky because the quality of the music, that 90s era was so strong on so many levels. So I had a pretty easy job, really, just putting the best. <laughs> oh, no, but, you know, what a gig, though, I must say. And there's a story about Weller as well that I've read whereby um, trying to get him on and then was a thing about miming do you remember this yeah no i do i remember i remember it really clearly and when i took over the show my view was in terms of uh miming singing live i'm cool either way you know some uh bands were uh like pop bands which visually brilliant you know great dancing well choreographed and all that kind of stuff but you know to, to do all that and sing at the same time you know might not be the best thing is about the performance so um, I was cool either way. I didn't want like a, a great band doing a brilliant dance routine and being out of breath when you're yeah. trying to sing. You know, it's not a gig. You know, it's yeah. like a TV yeah. show. So, so I was pretty cool on that. And then I read an interview, and I think it was in <laughs> sort of Q or Mojo, and someone asked Paul about what do you do top of the pops, and he said something like, "You know, well, it's getting better, but I'd never do it because she can't play live." And I read that. I was in the office of Top of the Pops. I was like. Oh my God, I didn't even think he'd even consider doing it. So I called the record label and I said, have you got a contact for Paul's management company? And they gave me a contact. So I got in contact with them and said, look, I just read this. If all that's stopping Paul doing Top of the Pops is that he can't play live, he's welcome with open arms, mate, and I'll make it happen live. And he can do two songs and he can Amazing. do like a new single and and um, and something from his back catalogue. And there was then this like, you being serious because no one had played on live, live on top of the pops for about 50 years. And I was like, yeah, completely serious. So I've got the crew together and we're saying, look, I want to try and achieve this. How can we do it? Then uh, their guys started to talk to our tech guys, then talking to Paul and his management about what the tracks were. And eventually he came on and did uh, Peacock Soup then straight into Changing Man. So, and no one had done two songs on top of the pops back to back either. And that led on to interesting stuff. So Prince ended up doing that. Ramones ended up doing that. So it just, it, it worked. But it was such a buzz having Paul Weller 
on top of the pops playing live it was just something else and i you know when you think wow that, that's a real moment for the audience that's so cool that's so cool um and there's been i think there's been another couple of occasions where you've come across paul and works with him directly on um was it that you produced a show with ian wright was that the front was it friday night with ian wright was that right yeah, yeah, produced, um, you know, that, uh, that, that show. And, uh, you know, I was a big Arsenal fan, met Wrighty over the years, and we decided we'd put this uh, TV format together and went to ITV. Yeah, and they, and they bought the idea, and it was fucking amazing. So there's Wrighty hosted it, and we, uh, we knew Lennox Lewis, so we got Lennox Lewis. He was world boxing champion at the time as the security on the door. And then, and then um, I phoned up Pete Tong, who's an Arsenal fan, and went, look, I want to... DJ playing in and out of the breaks. Fancy it is we righty. And Tommy was like, yes, please. So we've got this amazing show. And then it was just getting people of the right sort of sensibilities, you know, uh, uh, who would get what right is about. And it was a little bit anarchic um, in, in its spirit. Um, but it worked really well. And Paul was a fantastic, you know, guest on that. You know, we, we, we've been very lucky, you know, in, in that type of ways our cars have crossed. One thing, obviously, one of your radio stations is, is really big on Kerrang, um, really big on new music. And I think one of the yeah. things that I, I love about Paul is that kind of those recommendations that you get from artists. So he's kind of somebody who really supports new music, really supports new band. Every time you read a music um, kind of interview with him, he's kind of talking about somebody else that he's kind of recommending is, is kind of discovered. That's a kind of really important part of music for me that kind of self-discovery or that kind of recommendation, that kind of influence. Um, How does that come about? How does that work for you for radio as well? Because presumably, I mean, the the stations that you program and you're passionate about and and stuff, those those presenters are always recommending new music to me. Yeah, and and I think the the best policy, you know, with those stations, you know, that, that I do look after, you know, essentially the people that are on air are fans anyway. You know, there are people that want to be radio presenters and there are fans that happen to get on the radio. And I think, you know, with Planet Rock and, and Kerrang, they are, their lives are rock. And, um, you know, and if they weren't doing on a rock station, they ain't going to go on any other station. You know, that's all they want to do. So they're absorbing music all the time. Like I'm absorb- absorbing music all the time. And you listen to recommendations because you trust people's opinions. And just going back to Paul, that's a massive strength in, you know, in the quality of the person that he is and the generosity of spirit that he's got. You know, because if you're trying to you know, cut your way through and you, you get a recommendation or a, a, a name check from someone of the quality of Paul, confidence that will give you and those around you and how that will ripple out. Is absolutely uh, incredible. So uh, it's an amazing thing to be, you know, working in music, but also it's a really there's a responsibility that comes with that. And I think, you know, that's being respectful to artists and and sharing stuff that you think you know needs a wider audience. The career that you've had, you must be somebody who's kind of. I mean, you've got a million stories we could talk all day, which is fantastic. But they're they're kind of particular kind of career highlights in the world of music and kind of bands and artists that kind of stand out to you as as huge big icons and and kind of um, those people who really kind of shapes shapes your way of thinking and your kind of love of music those kind of experiences that you can share with us yeah i mean i've uh, yeah a huge fan of iron maiden and that goes back to uh, when i was producing the the breakfast show on radio one with simon mayo and we used to have a record of the week and back in those days you know radio one was yeah pretty you know safe and not gonna like yeah. you know you know craze the horses out of it and um we made uh, bring your daughter to the slaughter record of the week and um you know, we're hammering this out at breakfast time. And I remember the controller at the time calling me in his office going, what are you doing? 
you're playing a rock show at 7.23 on a Monday morning, playing a rock song at 7.23 on a Monday morning. And that relationship with our maiden has, has continued. You know, we've, we do great work with them on, on Planet Rock. I was even fortunate enough to play, you know, in their football team for a while, which was, you know, quite amazing. And we've done some great work with Bruce Dickinson over the years as well. So, you know, there are, I've been very, I've just been very, very lucky, you know, meeting people like uh, Michael Jackson and Madonna and David Bowie, you, you know, I, I feel very, very fortunate. And every single time you having to pinch yourself going, can't actually believe this is happening. I just, yeah, I feel very privileged to have been in those positions and, and have met those people. I often get asked, well, you know, you've met a lot of people who's been the, you know, who's been the arse, who's been the one that's, the... and I can honestly say, you know, I've met some interesting characters, but none of them, I would say, have been uh, offered any kind of, you know, trouble, resistance or anything to anything that we're trying to achieve. It's about having a conversation. So, um, you know, I feel very lucky from that point of view as well. I mean, all of those kind of you would class as music icons, I would say. Is there something you can put your kind of finger on in terms of what makes them different? What, what makes somebody like that kind of make it versus hundreds of thousands of kind of very talented musicians who will just never get there. It's, it's, it's not just luck. You know, it's not just time. And no, it's, it's it's not, no, it's not just luck. And that, I mean, that's a really interesting point. So um, after I uh, finished up the pops, I went to work for a record label called Independiente and I was doing A&R there. And incidentally, we signed Paul to Independiente after he left Island Records. <laughs> the incredible thing there was, it was just listening to all the music that was coming through. And there was a level of competency amongst so many bands that sent stuff in where you couldn't fault their playing. You know, their, their, everything was in tune and the songs were good. But it's just that X factor you can't put your finger on until you hear something and you just go wow, where did that come from? And it, you can't define it. You know, it's really difficult. I think it's a big, obviously a great challenge of A&R, you know, back in that day anyway. It's like, well, who's got this, these amazing songs that, that connect? And um, it's uh, difficult from that point of view, but it's obvious when it happens. But then I think when you're working with, I remember when we had uh, Madonna on Top of the Pops and um, her um, manager called me and said, "Oh, look, she's rehearsing down in uh, Baker Street. Did you want to come down and see, you know, you know how the rehearsals are going?" Um, so I got in a cab and went down to Baker Street. Walked into this rehearsal room, and there's just the manager and Madonna. And uh, she's going, "Oh, hi, Rick. How are you?" And I'm, you know, you're like inside. You go, "Shit." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, but you know, I had a kind of professional, you know, responsibility, so I had a conversation with her about that. And then then she we sat down and we were chatting, and then she was saying things like, "So, what stage am I going to be on? And what what are your thoughts about the lighting? And how many cameras are, are going to be used?" And um, I thought, "Man, this is this is someone." No wonder they're where they are. It's that attention to detail. And it wasn't do it like this. It was like, what are you thinking? So I said, it's this stage. This is the layout of the studio. I'm thinking, you know, as you're a solo performer, it will be there. Listening to the track, I was going to use a lot of soft blue light and uh, I was going to use a lot of tracking shots and not too much on handheld to keep it nice and smooth. And then, um, and then off the bat, she said, oh, yeah, I like the blue. I'm going to go down to, and I forget the shop, but there's a lovely Chanel suit that I've seen, which is a gorgeous blue, which I think will be picked up wonderfully in the light. And you're like, man, this is just some incredible conversation. So we had that meeting, and I haven't told anyone this before. I've, I've, I've left, and she's, she's actually performed the song. The song's come through this massive great PA. And she's, I'm just sitting there, and she's like doing what she's doing. And it's quite incredible, amazing as well. And then she asked me what I thought. 
And I was like, I think that's pretty good, Madonna. And, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, it's all right. But then I, and then I went outside and phoned my best mate straight away. It was like, you never guess what just happened. <laughs> like the fan came out. <laughs> Uh, so I mean that's my that's my worry. So so I've kind of um I've had the pleasure of meeting Paul twice. Once was working for Eagle Radio. Um I was like doing some street team stuff at the site at the time. And we had we had a promotion with um Nexa where we were handing we were in a shopping centre in Sainsbury's handing out chocolate bars and this white transit van pops up. This is in um Cobham around that way. And um we're like, oh my god, it's well and he go he, he went in, did his shopping, came out, and a colleague of mine managed to grab him to come over to the van. <laughs> and give him a chocolate bar and all I could think to say was big fan big fan that was it so in my head for donkey's years there'd been this kind of thing of like you know when you get to meet him you'll say this and this be this kind of intelligent conversation and you'll at the very least you talk about the fact you know what what his music and has meant to you kind of growing up and stuff yeah. big fan big fan so there's always been this ridiculous regret of like oh for god's sake why didn't I say more than that yeah, have you ever been starstruck I mean, sort of the Madonna I guess is a kind of example of that but at least yeah, you knew no, what I, to say right yeah I've been starstruck a lot and probably the first time that that really happened to me was um when i started at radio one and you know i'd grown up listening to capital and radio one and uh, i got this trainee producer job at radio one started so the first that i started on the same day as another trainee producer there were two of us that, that, that got these jobs and i walked into the hr department sitting on this bench and i don't know how much you're into punk music then but sitting on this bench next to where i had to sit to pick up my staff card was Jake Burns from Stiff Little Fingers. Oh. And I'm like, and I was in a band at the time, in this punk band, and we were covering inflammable material and all this kind of stuff, suspect device. And I walked in, I'm like, Jake Burns. And he was like, yeah. And I said, what are you doing here? He's like, I was starting as a trainee producer with some other bloke. And I went, I'm the other bloke. <laughs> and, um, but then you get into Radio 1 and you're walking around and, you know, there is, you know, that era of Steve Wright and Simon Bates and Mike Reed and, and John Peel and, you know, all these. And I'm, I'm like, I was walking around starstruck for about two weeks and Gary Davis was big at that time as well and a lovely guy. I, I just had to kind of give myself a, you know, a slap around the chops and go, Rick, this is your job now. You can't go around being starstruck. <laughs> you just need to get on with your job. So um, it, was, <laughs> it was just a shift of mindset. But I don't think, I think if you're a music fan, that moment, whatever your job is inside, you you know, it, it's, 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 it's difficult to do that professional, not feel nervous, but, you know, make them welcome. And, you know, the same with David Bowie going over when he came on to, to Top of the Pops as well. It's like, goodness me, it's David Bowie. He's back on the show, which was amazing. But then, you know, what do you go and say? And and I wanted to make him feel welcome. But, you know, he's, he was such a well, everybody's wonderful once you start the conversation. So I think, um, yeah, I've been very lucky in, in, in some of those meetings, definitely. Thank you for your time, Rick. Two final questions for you. So if for you, if there's a Weller song, uh, which one would it be? If, if you have one left for your entire life that you can listen to, what is it right now? Um, and secondly, um, if if I do secure the interview with Weller, what, what, what one thing should I make sure I cover off? Um... Okay, this song, um, you know, I mean, Paul's catalogue is incredible, but uh, Changing Man, I think, is is such an incredible song. The lyrics on it, it, it gets me every time. And I think, you know, no matter what stage you are in your life, that song can have a really different meaning for you. So, you know, it meant a, an incredible amount to me at one point. And the sincerity uh, around it was brilliant. And the analysis of, you don't want to go too deep on this because he's clearly just got all this stuff out of his soul. But you, you look at those lyrics and, and the song and just how it's produced, fantastic. 
I'd ask him, you know, who uh, in terms of collaboration would he want to work with? And that could be someone who's uh, no longer with us or someone who's with us now. So who would his dream collaborator be on the track? Good question. You can see why you're in this job, man. <laughs> you caught me on the hop there, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> you never lose it, man. You never lose it. Hey, Rick, it's been so lovely to catch up. Um, it's been really nice to talk to you. Thank you so much for all the tips, the hints, the stories. It's been it's been an education, but more than that, it's been an absolute joy. So thank you. Well, it's been great to see you as well, Dan. I'm glad everything's going good. There you go. What a bunch of great stories from Rick Blacksill. Love that. Right, that's it for episode four. Next week, I'm joined by Lee Cogswell, director of so many great films from Paul Weller over the past few years, including the 2020 Style Council's Sky Arts TV documentary. Lee has had incredible access to Paul from the Jawbone soundtrack through to A Kind Revolution, True Meanings, and On Sunset, creating brilliant documentaries for each of them. And don't forget, download, subscribe, review, give us a little retweet, and help to spread the word at Weller Fan Pod on Twitter. See you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.